Welcome back to another edition of the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast, the music industry podcast where everything is terrible and the house is on fire. I am not Matt Bacon. I am your sometime co-host, Keefe, from GhostCultMag.com. And with me, as always, is my amazing co-host, Curtis Dewar. Hello. And today we welcome in our amazing guest, Ian Blurton. How are you doing today, sir? I'm great. How are you? I am fantastic. For those that don't know, yeah, it's great to have you. Ian, uh, we're going to tee it up and kick it over to him in a second to talk a little bit about his career in a nutshell. But for those that don't know, Ian is an amazing band leader, producer, and all-around swell guy. So (laughs) um, I know that's a lot to live up to. (laughs) It is, and it's not true. I only go by what Curtis tells me and what I know from I know from your amazing output of music and the the many many people you have produced and worked with. So, let's get a for those that don't know a little to quote Matt Bacon comic book origin story number 1. What is the you know, you've been around, you know, 25 years of a musical career which is impressive in itself. So, let's hear about it and how you got started and uh, how we got up to today. Oh. Geez, well, I started like when I was 16 in 1982, kind of came out of the post-punk Toronto scene, um, and I don't know, just been releasing and recording records since then, and uh, I, I don't know, I guess I get a, I enjoy it, obviously, um, so I continue doing that. So, Ian, how about, um, can, can you also go over like some of the bands that you've been in for those people that don't know? I mean, you ha- you've had a pretty long career I know there's a lot of Americans that probably are unaware of just how extensive your career has been can you can you give a little bit more on that too sure like uh you know like the, the band I started with one of my best friend when I was 16 was a band called Change Heart and we lasted for uh I think 15 years and then I was in uh, a band called Bionic from Montreal yeah. um a band called Blurtonia Come On which was uh with Katie from Nashville Pussy. And then uh, I've been in a band called Public Animal for the last five years with uh, Eric Rock, who's uh, one of my favorite bands from Canada of all time. It's called Tricky Woo. And he was the bass player in that band. And it's with uh, Caitlin and Ryan. Um, and then uh, I started writing these songs that uh, didn't seem to fit maybe as well in the Public Animal thing, because that's more of like a democracy. Yeah, I started writing these songs that were I, I sort of just wanted to control all the aspects of it so I just made a song record so I, I have a question just in regards to now your career so you've been you've been playing music full time for about 20-25 years is that correct? Uh, well 82 82? oh yeah long for that. I it, yeah. okay so like uh, a long time so a long time <laughs> I'm not, I'm not trying to be ageist here. Um, no, but, no, that's uh, really fun. But uh, I'm just trying to give people the significance of it. So, but you've been you've been a full time musician since basically the '80s, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like really full time since like you know, like say, I don't know, '92 or something. Okay. So now, how did how did you transition from the day job into being a full time musician? Because that's something a lot of people can't really do. Yeah, and um, I mean, you've been able to do it for a fairly long time while also doing, I mean, it's not just music that you play, I understand, but producing, but like, how did you get into the business full-time, I guess is what I'm asking. 
Well, it's kind of weird. Like, um, there was there used to be this contest in Toronto. There was a radio station called CFNY. I mean, it still exists. Um, and they used to have a contest um, where the grand prize was a hundred thousand dollars, which seems insane now. But uh, one one year we were like, uh, as a joke, like after we had been a band for ten years, we were like, let's apply to this thing. And so at the very last minute, we handed in a song and we won the hundred grand. And uh, oh, yeah, and a friend of ours uh, owned a really cool studio, and we we're like, instead of you know spending all the money on ourselves, let's uh, you know try and give you know give something back to the community. So we invested in this studio with my friend. He, he's actually the guy who mixed my solo record. His name's Gerald Smith, and we just, I just kind of got into production on that on that way. You know, just being around Daryl and watching the way he worked and. Uh, when he, he 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 sold the studio, moved out west, in I think about I don't know ninety eight or something, and I just went into it full time from there. Cool. Um, okay, so now w- let's go back a little bit further, just to uh, change of heart. So I mean, basically that that was the first band you you got real success with, correct? Or am I mistaken? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. We were like on Fringe in the eighties, which is you know the home of like you know. Black Flag and Dead Kennedys, so we were like the weird band on that label because it was mostly, you know, it was like suicidal and uh, yeah, Diggle abortions, and then this kind of sort of pop, heavier pop band, you know, and uh, uh, yeah. How how did you guys get signed? I guess it was was going to be the leading question for the next thing because okay, so so you won the contest, made a hundred, and you won the hundred thousand dollars, and you went into the yeah. studio. So how did you get signed? Was it just on the basis of the contest, or no? It was actually well, we had, we had already had this deal with Fringe, and we put out okay. one record with them, and then we signed with Cargo, who were like uh, at that time probably the biggest independent in Canada, and we did two records with them, and uh, the second record that we did with them did really well, and we got a lot of touring opportunities, and then. Um, it was just kind of a tough because they didn't have a lot of money. Um, like we did a we did a 24 song record live off the floor, or maybe 22 uh, live off the floor, but the budget was three thousand dollars, and that was like the biggest selling record we had made at that point. So it was like it was like we felt like we needed a budget, so we started looking for something else, and uh, we released our record independently when we got this hundred thousand dollar thing, and then we got picked up by Virgin EMI. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Um, okay, so now explain to people how you built up a fan base locally. Because, I mean, most most of your fans that I'm aware of, at least, are primarily in, it's in Canada, Ontario area. Um, so you basically built yourself up locally um, as a very first thing, and, it was, and you were successful at it. So can you kind of give a nutshell version of how you did that? Well, one of the, like, one of the things that we always... Uh, I don't know if this even applies anymore, but like one of the things that we, we were uh, adamant about was like, cause we were very in- influenced by like the SST and the twin tones of that time period. And all those bands toured like crazy. And we were like, we're not going to stay in Toronto and just sit around and just because there was a lot of bands that were really big in Toronto, but yeah. as soon as they left Toronto, there was like nothing. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I had, you know, a couple of friends who toured, a lot and they were like you have to play your own city you know get it to the point where you're playing like once a year and it's a big show and 
And so for us, it was always about leaving Toronto. And like, you know, we started touring in, I think, 86. And, uh, you know, it was just about going out there and and doing it, you know. So how do you get up the contacts to do that? That was just, you know, we had a great manager initially. And then, uh, you know, over time, like I I still book our Canadian tours and uh, like whatever band I'm in. And uh, just over time, just meeting the right people and like, you know, like I feel really comfortable with this promoter. He always or he or she always does a great job. And so I just, you know, a list of contacts of people that I really dug. And that, you know, that applies to, you know, still, you know, it's the same thing. It's like finding somebody that you feel comfortable with in each town. Totally. Okay, cool. All right. So now let's bring it up to more closer to present time with the release of your uh, last album. You want to go just kind of briefly tell people about the album and then I'll ask you a few questions about the release. Sure. Um, yeah, like so I said, I started making this record um, and basically I wanted it to be like a power trio record. So I found two two of my favorite drummers and five of my favorite bass players, uh, you know, from around here and just kind of put the songs together, like the right person on the right song, as opposed to having a band and like mm-hmm. always trying to, you know, put, you know, sometimes in a band situation, um, things don't necessarily always fit properly you know and uh, this was more about like finding the right bass player for this song and that drummer for this song and etc okay so now what made you decide to release it independently because i would have thought that like i mean did you try to get on a label or it was just like i'm going to release it independently and that's it i did i did try a little bit and uh i I didn't really get much uh back and uh you know I understand that, like, I've had a lot of record deals in Toronto area, so um, I understand how people wouldn't want to get on board because, you know, I'm not, I don't sell a ton of records. I'm pretty consistent, but I don't sell a ton. And I just felt like it would be fun to do. And, like, you know, Tony, who, uh, Tony Lima, who puts out a lot of records by me on this label, yeah, right, from London, has been amazing. But it's just like, I just, you know, my girlfriend and I were like, let's put this out ourselves. So how did you finance it? Was it just, did you do any crowdfunding or was it just straight out of your own pocket? Straight out of my own pocket. And it was just, uh, you know, like basically, I, you know, it's like almost any other band. I work as a producer and then I lose money on a band, you know. So it's just balancing that out, you know. And so, luckily, luckily I have like a lot of friends who are really great musicians who are willing to work, you know, fairly cheap, you know. Understood. So, yeah. so how, how much? Okay. So one thing a lot of bands do when they when they self-release is that they'll they'll buy tons and tons and tons of quantity of product that's just insane amounts, like ten thousand vinyl or something stupid like that. Um, how many copies did you actually um, decide to make uh, for each format for yourself? Uh, well, we did five hundred vinyl, which is seems to be my mark. Um, okay. Um, and, and yeah, like, I think that's a huge mistake you can make, um, just ordering too much. Yeah. Um, the one time I, um, the one time I did a thousand copies, I still have copies, you know, sitting <laughs> me right now. So, so it's like, I, I feel like I've, you know, I've established there's a mark of 500 and that's great, you know? Now, keeping in mind, I just want to point out to everyone that Ian is an established artist that also plays, how many shows per year do you play normally? I don't know, 100, maybe. Is it 100? I didn't realize it was 100. Oh, wow, even more than I thought. That's awesome. Maybe. Well, I, you know, I play guitar for other people too as well. Sure. You know, so if I'm going to include all that. 
Fair. Okay, cool. So, okay, so Ian's an established artist, and he has been doing 500 copies of vinyl, and then how much? How many CDs do you normally do? I actually haven't done a CD. We have a label in oh, the sorry, U.S. Okay. that's going to uh, press it up that you okay. uh, actually helped with. Um, I, that I helped with. Maybe I yeah, forgot what it was. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Okay, I forgot yeah. about that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Losing my mind there. Um, okay, so are. now, what's that? I said we all are. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, okay, so now, normally, so now for merch, too, my next question is what do you normally do for merch um, to keep you going? Like a lot of bands, again, they'll print up too many copies of shirts and stuff like that. Oh, I'm like, I don't like to have too many, so I just kind of keep it to the minimum. Uh, you know, like 50 is a good breaking point or 100, you know, for a tour. Um, so, so how much total would you say would be a, uh, a budget that a band should set aside for a release that including merch, copies of everything? Oh, tell, me I'm getting, tell me if I'm getting too personal here, but I'm just trying no, to no, get something for bands um, to like, know. I, 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 you know, like, I, I, I don't really believe in, like, having a million shirts laying around. Okay. Um, like, I, so I would say, I mean, you know, say the record costs seven grand all in uh that includes pressing and then you know a thousand dollars in shirts just to start off okay you know plus vinyl plus vinyl cost no the vinyl is included in the seven thousand okay so you need about eight thousand dollars approximately to get i would think so yeah you know somewhere around there i mean i don't have the actual numbers right oh yeah for for sure now now is that would that be including like a producer because i know you do all your own stuff so yeah, uh, that that would not include a producer. So, like, uh, yeah, exactly. I, okay. I produced the record, but I didn't mix the record. My friend Daryl did. So, cool. Okay, so now let's talk about uh, promotion aspect. Unless Keith has a question before I go on that. Well, um, I'm going to let you go on with that because promotion was going to be one of my questions, uh, and I have some other things to chime in on after. Cool. Um, okay, so now the promotion of the record. Um, itself. Now we started. I think it was a few months, uh, four months before, if I'm not mistaken, with the single yeah. releases. Yeah. Um, going off the top of my head because I don't have my notes in front of me. So, what made you decide to release the singles prior to the? Fo- well, let me get some background because not everybody knows what we're talking about. Ian released two singles prior to releasing uh, on a seven-inch prior to releasing his actual album, and it was like three months beforehand, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So, what? Why did you have that happen first instead of just like roll, like doing the whole album promo roll up? Well, I mean, I guess it comes down to I had two extra songs that didn't really fit the record, and I just thought it might like they're a little bit more uh, maybe inviting. So I thought maybe that these two songs would be uh, like the album is really dense, and uh, uh, I just thought maybe the two songs might be a good way in. And uh, um, I don't know necessarily whether it was right or wrong, but it, it seemed to work really well. And, cool. uh, you know, Tony put out the 7-inch, and then uh, it was my friend from Yeah, Right. And then uh, we put the record out. So did, did you think that helped with uh, getting the awareness of the album? I think it stuff? did. I think, okay. uh, I mean, it, it, you know, I think, I think we're at the moment where, like, songs are, I think songs are becoming more important again. You know, like, yeah. uh, and so hopefully leading with a good song that's pretty easy to get into is maybe a great idea at this point. 
cool. Um, okay, so okay, so those were basically just extra tracks that you didn't need for the record. So yeah. did, we're okay. So then next up after that, we released a few singles leading up. So how do you figure out what are the tracks you're going to release on your album leading up to it? As a general um, rule, just uh, you know, I, 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 you know, like I've. I mean, I love Doom and everything, but releasing a 14-minute song as your single, <laughs> like, like, it's just like, you know, if you're a new band, it's like, I, I don't know how many people are going to sit there and go, like, 14 minutes, that sounds great, you know? There's a couple, but not many. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple, but, and, you know, again, like, don't get me wrong, uh, there's some 14-minute songs I love, but it's just, you know, I just think that maybe... That, you know, we only have so much time to listen to, to, to new music, and you know, most people don't even listen to the you know halfway through the song before they decide. So it's like, I don't know. You just got. I think you got to hit a part. Do you? Uh, I, I know I didn't really do any radio promo for it, but do you ever like try to focus on songs for the radio still nowadays? I know it's kind of past its prime, but I was kind of curious if you as a songwriter do. I no, like I think those songs just come naturally to me because I grew up in the '70s and like uh, yeah. you know AM radio was so popular when I was young, and uh, I honestly radio for me has just always been like uh, I don't understand, you know, like. <laughs> I just don't understand. There's all these rules that apply to it. And even if you follow those rules, it's like, uh, you know, I mean, now it's like, you know, rock music on the radio is, is pretty much, you know, uh, doesn't exist. Yeah, you, you did have a pretty big song at one point back in the 90s. Yeah. With Change yeah. of Heart. Yeah. I can't what, what was the name of the track again? Uh, well, there was and there was Her Story. There was two songs. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, because I remember hearing you back on the radio in the 90s and then I was like, Oh, he still sounds like he's writing music towards the radio, but I guess you're not. Um, cool. So now, so I guess what you want to do when you're trying to build, when you're trying to promote your album then, is that you want to get the hookiest songs in advance to kind of whet the person's appetite for the full thing. Is that kind of your strategy then? Yeah, not even necessarily the hooky. It's just more the more concise, I guess. Okay, cool. So, all right. So now, basically the audience that we kind of went after on this promo which was kind of different than what you're kind of known for because I mean it was a little bit of a different in style so now do you feel like going after that new crowd like the more of the metal crowd kind of hindered or did it help expand your audience with, the, with well, this album I think that that audience already exists at the live shows and okay. uh, I just don't feel like it ever really got um, uh, in the press you know in that way it's like you know like uh, you know, there's lots of battle fests at our shows and stuff like that, and like yeah. lots of patches of you know, like the heavier bands, and people seem to really like that. that they, you know, like like the live shows. So it's like I, I, um, I just felt like maybe it was like being misrepresented, maybe a little bit. You know, cool. Like yeah, like previously. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying. Um, well, I mean, yeah, you're even playing with heavier bands in Toronto. I noticed quite a bit as well. So it it seems like it's the correct thing. Do, are you worried about kind of alienating your earlier fan base? No, not at all. Actually, uh, a lot of people from like I, I think I've kind of been lucky in that. Although it's kind of a small audience, I've had an audience that's followed me, um, which I, I, you know, I thank everyone so much for because uh, the support is really amazing. But like those people are really digging the new record you know cool 
yeah, I'm gonna pretty much solid press all across the board. <clears throat> hey, Ian, can I jump in, Kurt? Yeah, go ahead. I, I have another question, but I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, I was going to say, I think the band that you had that really bridged the gap from your earlier career to now was Come On, uh, which I was yeah. a huge fan of. And oh, really? I. Yeah, I was, and I love, and I still am, and I and I like the last release, and I really love this current solo album, and I love the approach. And what I was gonna say is, I wonder if your really interesting approach to this solo album is kind of an outgrowth of all your work not in the rock field, because I wanted to get you talking a little bit about your producing career and how that has carried over into your personal, artistic, you know, own vision. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm definitely, uh, you know, like, one thing about producing is you get this, uh, um, you get a great perspective on how a band works, and more often than not, I'll, I'll learn something of what not to do, as opposed to what to do. Um, so I see a lot of that, and also, like, you know, being, a, you know, say, for example, like, the Cursed record that I recorded, like, being around a band that's that intense and that good and that, uh, you know, just fully into what they're doing, I mean, that cannot be nothing but inspiring. So it's like, yes, those things are all, you know, you're always drawing on those things. Now, just as a quick, just as a quick, quick question. So what is your favorite genre to produce, out of curiosity? You know, I actually don't have a favorite genre to produce. I really, I, I enjoy, I, I, I feel like I'm really lucky in that I get to do a wide range of, uh, um, maybe I'm best at like rock music, but I feel like I, I get uh, I get a wide range of stuff that I get to do. So mm-hmm. if I say I've done a whole bunch of heavy records in a row, um, to do a light record is really great. You know, it's like, you don't want to just, I honestly, I, 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 I have more power to people who, do it but like people who just do one genre it's like kind of blows me away totally Keefe, did you have something else before i go on with my question no i was i was just gonna add that uh i'm sure when you get to you know sort of dive into a, a different genre for a change it's kind of like pulling out the old uh video game cartridge out of the console blowing in it and putting it back in right because it's a reset for your ears <laughs> that's awesome um, I like that one, Kiwi. Um, okay, so my, my next question for you was going to be just in regards to um, back. We're going back over to promotion for a second. So um, I know back in the back in the '90s and stuff like that, when you were when you were uh, when you were first starting, it was it was common to focus mainly on the print and the radio and that type of thing. Do you yeah. think it's do you think it's easier nowadays with uh, that you get? Sorry, let me rephrase it. Do you think you get more uh, potential fans nowadays with the internet or do you think it's kind of like made it so that way you know there's so much out there nobody really can really hear uh, you don't get as much of a chance as a I result. I think it's a balance between the two it's like I think you can reach a wider audience and, and you know get to have digs of, you know have people from Portugal be like you know the day your record comes up be like I want to copy that record totally and um but I also think that now because, you know, it's like a funnel. It's like it's, there's so much stuff going through that funnel. It's like you can only really pick out a little bit, you know? Yep. Totally. And if you're the most dedicated music fan and you're listening to music 24 hours a day, there's still no way you're going to catch everything, you know? Totally. Um, now, okay, so now just one more question about promotion and then I want to go into one other thing. What do you think has been 
your most successful promotional avenue for promoting a new record at any point in time in your career? Um, I, I, I personally think it comes down to the live show. Okay. Um, I think that if if you're a crappy live band, then uh, I mean, obviously, people who are not good live sell records. But um, um, I think that backing it up with a, a good live show is definitely a top on my priority list. You know. Cool. So how would a band, so how should a band try to get their like? Give an example. Like, what would be a top live show in your in your mind if you're giving advice to a new band? Well, I mean, I just saw Iron Maiden in the summer, and that's like probably one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. And uh, totally, you know, considering how long they've been around, um, yeah. and that's you know they've built their base up on that. You know, yeah. there's something of there's something about going to an Iron Maiden show and singing Doctor Doctor before the show starts, and you know, mm-hmm. just there's just all these elements. You know, it's like. Uh, I mean, a lot of the bands that obviously do really well and last a long time have a stage show. It's not just a bunch of schlubs on stage. Totally. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. So now, now I want to just kind of switch gears a little bit, just a teeny, teeny, teeny little bit. So I want to talk about social media for a second. So you're pretty active on Twitter, at least. Yeah, um, and Instagram. And Instagram, yeah. Um, so how how do you use those as tools to get more fans, or do you just use it just to keep in touch with the ones you already have? I think, uh, well, I keep in touch with you know uh, uh, with fans. I, I answer, you know, I, I you know I have a lot of friends who don't answer anything on Instagram and Twitter, and I, I kind of feel like that's a it's a good way to talk to people and just be you know put a human aspect to it. Because I think totally. that that is one thing about the internet; it's a little bit uh, dehumanizing, mm-hmm. and so like to actually have those conversations with people and then meet them at the show. It's kind of uh, I like it, you know. Well, I think also with fans, like if they actually, if like if a musician that they're that they really enjoy actually responds back to them, it's kind of like oh my god, they actually exist. Right. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Um, so how much how much time per week do you normally put into your social media activities? Like, do you plan it out, or is it just like you just go on when I you have a chance? I literally like I open up my computer in the morning and I just answer stuff basically. Cool. Okay, so you look for responses first before you decide to tweet anything. Is what you're saying? No, I uh, you know I'll just uh, I, you know I I mean I always tweet about what's going on, um, but yeah, like I'll answer stuff if there's if there's uh, you know. And stuff that messages in the inbox whatever cool um has anybody has anybody that you've ever fanboyed out about ever gotten in uh, touch with you on social media um well there was the, the snyder thing but uh <laughs> you know not to you know uh, no not really a couple not of really? people okay. that I, you know like well i mean i've become friends with them so it's like uh i don't know they're not really, I'm not really fanboying anymore, you know? Yeah, no, I totally get it. Um, okay, so like, if, if someone wanted to ask you a question on social media, uh, how, how would they best do it? Should they contact you through Instagram or should they go through Twitter? Okay, either or. Either, either or? or? But okay. do not start an avalanche of crazy questions. <laughs> yeah, not. this is not free advice, people. <laughs> Um, okay, so okay, so now what would be your advice for anybody looking to start on social media? Because that's a big problem for a lot of bands. Is that most bands actually think, seem to think that Twitter and Instagram are stupid, but those are the two where you're most active. Yeah. So, um, okay. I mean, so what, what are they? They, they think Facebook is like great. Like apparently, a lot of bands do. <laughs> really? I eh? like. Uh, 
I don't even have a Facebook page, do you? I do, and I oh, do. I don't even touch it. You know, it's just yeah, it's like so small. it's like uh, I don't know. I That's just why feel I forgot because you're never on it. Yeah. Um, well, I've never actually had a Facebook page myself, so yeah. um, um, I don't know. I just feel like the other two kind of work better. Um, and you know, like uh, uh, you know, we've asked. I've I've used it as a tool um, both ways. You know, like talking to people, but also like you know, for example, we just recorded in Calgary, and I just put up a thing on Twitter saying, "Would anyone lend us some gear?" And you know, like Woodhawk, who are a great band from Calgary, uh, you know, responded almost immediately. Like they're like, "Yeah, we can you can use our backline." You know, it's like so. I think on that way, it's like uh, it's a lot more. Uh, it's a it's quicker and more efficient. Totally, and I think that's how you and I met was on Twitter, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, I think we got to wrap up because uh, Keith just messaged me, said we're running low on time. Keith, do you have any final questions for Ian? Yeah, just uh, I know you've had a, a hell of a year. Uh, love the solo record, and I, uh, I know you have a big show coming up in Toronto in December. Do you have anything else, Ian, that you would like to plug? Um, no, just that show December 18th at uh, Dakota. Um yeah, we're just working on a new record and uh, getting ready to start it all again next year, basically. Awesome. And Curtis, would you like to plug the YouTube challenge? Oh, I will plug the YouTube <laughs> challenge. Yes, the YouTube challenge we have coming up in uh, not, not this week, but the following week. I believe it's the 25th off the top of my head. Uh, so what it is is Keithy himself. Keith is going to help us teach YouTube to anyone who is interested in teaching it. It's going to cost 50 US dollars. So if you're interested, DM me, Matt, or Keithy to sign up. And that's my plug. Awesome. Ian, once again, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure hearing your story. This has been the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast. You all have been listening. Are we done yet? <laughs>